Hi, welcome to another episode of The Great Riff. Um, you've got me, David. You've got me, Jamie, over Skype now. Over Skype. So we're, we apologise in advance if this sounds a bit sketchy, but we are, as we li- live in two different parts of the country, um, it's just proving difficult to sometimes actually see each other face to face. As much as I like seeing Jamie's face, it's not always doable. Um, and I don't drive, which is lazy of me, but just makes it a bit harder. Um, but yeah, we'll try and not do it. Well, whenever we get the opportunity to actually do it face to face, that would be the sort of default. But yeah, absolutely. This is always good. Yeah, and I think I think testing it out, it should be okay. And listening to a lot of podcasts out there, a lot of them do use Skype. So I'm not I'm not too worried. I mean, if they if if some of the podcasts I listen to can do it and their quality not be amazing, then I think we should be okay too. Um, so. Yeah, amazing. The first three episodes were just just thinking about them quickly. They were very in in depth for me. Like they were really, really like totally getting under the skin of that book. But they were long, and I don't think we can realistically do that forever. Um, no, I think we said I said to you it was like a, a love letter to Night Lords. It was, yeah, <laughs> it was just literally we were like, oh, we won't discuss the story, and then we literally just went chapter by chapter because they're yeah. so good. Every yeah, chapter was so it, good. it makes you realise just how action packed it is. It's just a well paced. Uh, trilogy but that's Aaron Dempsey Bowden now we're moving on to one of the other more I guess old school in a way I feel like he's been around for as long as I remember the hobby the name Um, we're doing Dan Abnett's Eisenhorn Xenos um, the first of the Eisenhorn books Um, and this book is um it's quite old already isn't it yeah it was first published yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I can find out now. It came out in May two thousand and one. So I mean, yeah, that's a seventeen-year-old book. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Legal to drink. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's half our lives, nearly. That's insane. Um, but it's very different. I mean, shall we? Uh, let's let's jump into our hobby. We'll come back to Xenos. Let's um let's riff a bit on on what we've been up to because. You know, like we said, we're, we're going to try Skype now because we're not together as much as we'd like. Um, uh, so I've, I've had a bit of hobby. What about you? Um, I've had hobby, but not playing no. other things. So What have you been doing, um, hobby-wise? I did well, I posted online, so I finished, actually finished the robots, which were, was a bit of an undertaking, but it was, it was fun in the end. They came out quite nice. Yeah. So I like, I like them. They're good. So I think in my two thousand point list, I've got another two to do. Nice. But they should be a bit quicker. But I've also cause I've been in hotels working away. So I've literally taken paints, taken models in a little case, packed them all in my hold luggage, and sat in a darkened hotel room and watched true crime documentaries and painted warhammers. Yeah, that, that sounds like the absolute dream. <laughs> it, was, uh. it was quite nice. But, you know, <laughs> Several days of just doing that, and then I was working in a bunker as well, so it was kind of like, okay, I need to... Fully need immersed. To yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that was good, and then, so I've, got, I've also built Cool, and I've also built another um, Iron Strider for our patrol tournament that's going to come up soon. Nice, sure nice. We'll, we'll talk about when we actually do get around to playing. Yeah, lovely, lovely. I, I still don't know what I'm using for that. I haven't decided. I've got two armies and about ten different lists, so I need to think about it yeah. yeah well unfortunately i just got enough well i've I picked and stuff so we and there were a few rules so i can't use cool i can't use the armadillo war glaive that i had so 
I'd decide to go a bit more on the iron striders, which I think will be cool. They're really cheap. Actually. Yeah, exactly. And they're not bad. I mean, they no, have I a mean, place. I think they're better in numbers rather than yeah. want to. So. Yeah, nice, nice. And then I, did, I think I've also played a bit more Blood Bowl as well, which has been really good fun. Oh, is that with, our, was that with Woody and that lot? Uh, no, it was with my nephew. Actually. Oh, we oh shit, nice. On holiday to Cornwall, and he's got some orcs. So I was doing orcs versus dwarfs, and it was <laughs> it was really good fun. Oh, that's nice. He beat me in one game, which is really depressing. But... And then were you relentlessly ruthless after that? Yeah, yeah, I was like, yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was right. the death roller. Yeah, that was embarrassing, yeah. No, he's good. He, he played in the league at school anyway, so. Oh, that's amazing. I love I loved stuff like that when I was younger. Yeah, he sounds like he has a really cool ball in my club. Oh, so jealous. I was like, oh man, I'm really jealous. Yeah, nice, nice. Um, what have I been doing? Um, quite a lot actually. So I finished my Death Guard for 40k. What I what I aim to do anyway. Um, so I've got 1,700 and. 50 just under um of of death guard led by typhus which is pretty cool um yeah. so so theme the force around um lots of pox walkers which is nice um had two games with them um so far one was a smaller game it was like uh, a thousand points against scott so this is up in london um um and that that went all right yeah it went it literally went down to the last last roll of the last term to to win it um, and it was a true Death Guard type of fight where they were just tanking, just slogging, just slogging, um, drawing him in. Um, there was a really great bit where my pox walkers, I, I put them in like a daisy chain, like a thin but close together line um, to just try and bubble wrap my army a little bit because he had a lot of range. So Scott was using um, uh, what they call the Stormtroopers, Astra... Not Astra Militarum. The Scions. The Scions, yeah, those guys. Oh, I love those Scions. There's a, on a sign, there's a really cool thing at Warhammer World was like a diorama and it's like Scion Hawk Down. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. Scion. I love that diorama. That's it's so nice. Surrounded by Hawks, it's great. Um, yeah, and uh, he had Grey Knight um, allies only because he didn't really have the points. So it was, it was fun. It felt thematic and great. Um, but I lost that in the very last sort of two rolls of the game, really. I had two guys desperately clinging on to an objective, and if I held it, I would have won the game. So it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. It was that mission. I don't know if you've played it um, using open war cards, where um, there's six objectives to place at the beginning of the game, and uh, ev at, at the start of every turn, you roll a dice. Uh, so you grab an objective. They don't have any point value whatsoever. You roll a dice, and on a six that one that you're on becomes the objective and the other five are taken away. So so it's like a sort of like relic, hyper relic almost. Like you don't know where it is, you don't know what it's doing. But the weirdest thing is, is um, I moved up to one in the very first turn. I, it was, I went first, I seized the initiative, went first, went up to one, immediately rolled a six. So the game just immediately went, oh fuck. I had to move all my force across the board to get to it and try and protect it because... He just yeah. had all of his guns pointing at it already. Um, I found some flaws in the Death Guard in that game. Just like lack of range. Just no fucking long range firepower. Just bolt guns everywhere. Um, and that brings me neatly on to the second game I played with Dan. Um, Dan using his Imperial Fists. Uh, he uses him like a castle. Um, and he uses it well. Um, 
thematic, I guess. Oh, it's very thematic, and it's a lovely, lovely army. He's done a really lovely job on it. Um, and yeah, it, it was a really fun game, but it's weird. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll quickly run through what the mission was. Was it was using the open war deck because we really like that randomness of it. Um, and uh, it it was um, a mission where there was three objectives: one in your deployment, one in wherever else, and one in the opponents. Um, but it had a weird parameter to the rules, which was um, if whoever they don't they're not worth any victory points like they used to be. It's not like each one's worth three or something. It was just whoever holds the most wins the game. Um, but there was a caveat where if you're holding all three at the end of your turn, you win the game automatically at any turn. Um, so it was quite interesting because Dan parked his entire force in a castle around his. Um, and my Death Guard, because it was the um, Hammer and Anvil setup, which is short edge to short edge, my Death Guard force has two long-range um, Hellbrutes in it with Laz Cannons. Other than that, everything's ranged 24 and under. And he took out the Dreadnoughts pretty much straight away because I deployed them quite poorly. Um, so lesson learned there, I need to use cover better. Um, and I just had to slog the force up the board to the middle objective while holding my own. And I, weirdly, I won the game without killing a single model. <laughs> oh, no, tell a lie. Did I blow up a tank? No, no, I didn't. I didn't. I took off wounds off of stuff. But I didn't. Saying, yeah. I didn't. I, I took off wounds off of vehicles with plasma guns and a couple of mortal wounds from psychic powers. But I didn't kill a single model, a single unit. I only had three models left on the board by the end of the game, but I still won because he didn't move off of his objective. And then he realised it was turn five, and the mission parameters were at the end of turn five. That's it. There's no. There's no role to see if it's a turn uh, six and seven or any of that. It's just at the end of game turn five, whoever holds the most objectives wins. So I won on this weird like technicality that felt really, really chaosy. It felt like that is exactly how chaos would win a game, yeah. especially just Death Guard. Yeah, everything especially Death Guard. They're like, our lives are worthless. We don't care. We will just stand, yeah. absorb all this fire, soaking it up, rolling fives and sixes for all of those lovely, um, disgusting, resilient rolls. It was just, it was really weird game. Like. He just stayed out of range and just kept gunning me down. And I was just like, actually, fuck this. I'm just going to sit on this objective and hope for the best. And it worked. It was, um, yeah, sometimes it's worth just playing to the mission, I guess. Um, yeah. but it still felt hollow. I didn't kill anything. So uh, <laughs> it was a bit weird. Not um, even a marine. Not even a lonely marine. No, no, it's weird. Like He had everything hidden in tanks. So I, I was expecting to be rushed. So I kind of held back in turn one, thinking he's going to get up in my face. But... That's the wrong thing to do against Death Guard. They love you being close to them because they just get to pump out mortal wounds all over the place. Yeah. Um, so, no, he played it right by sitting back, but I think he just, yeah, lost sight of that objective and forgot that it was only five turns, I think. Um, but it was, we both loved it. He was like, that's the best game I've played in ages. So it was, like, really thematic and fun. Yeah, that's um, good. So, yeah, uh, and that's it, really. Um, I'm about to start painting more Death for Asia's Sigmar. Um, especially with the 2.0 rules coming out and the box set, which with all the beautiful models in it, which yeah, I'm that does look good, oh, sure. definitely going to get it. Having because uh, I've got a skeleton army essentially, like themed all around Manfred the vampire, um, and then just lots and lots of skeletons on horse and on foot and all that jazz. So to have like a spirit host kind of thing alongside it, it'd look like really clean and different, but would still work really well together. Um, 
So yeah, really looking forward to that. It's definitely got my um, it's got my interest up on Warhammer, and and having just finished a forty k force and having two, I don't feel like I need another one just yet. I can maybe focus on fantasy for a bit, and so yeah, looking forward yeah, to yeah, that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's it for me from hobby. Uh, the only other interesting thing I guess was I saw Solo last week and fucking loved it. Yeah, it is. It's so good. I mean, I, it's like it's not groundbreaking but i mean i watched it for two and a half two and a bit hours and you're like this is really fun like like a star wars movie should be in a way i just don't get it like i i get that it's not made a lot of money like they're considering it a bit of a failure in that sense but it's just star wars fatigue i guess or yeah it's the fourth movie in three in three years yeah i say the last one came out five months ago whatever it was and on top of that like it's come out at the same time as like two other really big blockbuster films with yeah, um, exactly. and people only have so much money. Like, it's like twenty five quid for me and Sarah to go to the cinema, which is just insane. Um, yeah, it's really expensive. Like, I was in Germany at the time, but I found the cinema actually it was the day before it was released in the UK, so I saw it the evening before most people did, and it was it was pretty full. So I yeah, mean, it's not it's not lost money. But no, it's mad. It's mad. But um, I enjoyed. Yeah, me too. I really enjoyed it. Uh, it's just a good story, and you, you and me are big fans of that. I guess that's the whole point of this podcast, right? Is yeah, yeah. the story wins the day, and there were there were some set pieces in it that I got a bit bored of. Like I wasn't that bothered about the um, uh, the, the, them trying to escape that huge space creature. I felt like that. It just felt oh, really yeah. like it dragged. Yeah, I mean, I part of it is was to give the whole reason of the Kessel Run. Yeah, exactly. It's not, yeah. And, it, and it explained that it wasn't time, it was distance, because he took a shortcut and yada yada. But, and, it, and, and there was all the things like throughout the movie where it's like winks to, almost winks at the camera, things mentioned, and you're like, yeah. okay, we didn't really need an explanation, but I, they were really well done that I didn't actually have a problem with them doing it. No, me neither. I, I, I thought it was solid. I, yeah, I, there's so many people saying, oh, it's really crap. It's like, what film were you watching? Like, yeah. sometimes just lower your, not lower your expectations, but, like, understand that you can just enjoy things. Like, they don't have to have, like, a deeper significance of, like, you know, multi-layered stuff. Sometimes it can exactly, just be really yeah. nice to go and watch a film that's just fucking fun. I, um, think, I think some people forget that's what Star Wars is meant to be. It's, yeah. It is. They've always been sort of for a younger audience and meant to be really fun. So. Yeah, yeah. It's like they don't have to grow up with the people that grew up watching them. Like they can always stay in that world. But there were some fucking good lines in that. Like, ah, that really hurt my thumbs. Um, yeah, yeah. That killed me. I lost it. I thought it was hilarious. Um, I like to see Glover as Lando steals the show in pretty much every scene he's in. Yeah. Expect and it was good. All, um, all he did in that was reinforce. Um, my girlfriend's love for him. She just cannot get enough of the Glover. He's fantastic. Um, I feel exactly the same. (laughs) Um, So I guess while we're on the topic of great stories, um, we should move back on to the world of Dan Abnett and Eisenhorn Xenos. Yeah, I think I was just going to give a, as I say, thank you, because we released the stickers, but actually, because it's been so long time since we recorded last, there was, we did do some things in between those episodes. So we did release some stickers and a lot of you got in contact and we sent those out, so I'm hoping you're enjoying them. Yeah, it's been good to see some, you know, some feedback from people and you know, talking to people and want them wanting some of our stuff, so that's nice. Yeah, I just want to say uh, directly to you, actually, is thanks for sorting all that out. So I can take no credit in this. Um, I'm not, um, I mean, what well, we went halves on it, but I've done none of the legwork of getting it organised, so... 
any thanks that comes our way, just send it straight to Jamie because <laughs> I've been absent in all of it. Um, to be fair, I think it should mostly go onto Woody for his design. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if there was rubbish design, I don't think it would have as many people. Yeah, yeah. Some crappy stickers. No, uh, but it's, it's great some of the people reaching out and getting them as well, just hearing, talking to people, which is what our big driver for this was. And uh, even people we know, like Joe and, and the, you know... Um, and Stig as well, yeah. Stig from Tabletop Tactics, like shout out to those guys for jamming them on their boxes and giving us just that lovely little bit of, oh yeah, people actually quite like what we're doing. It's a great feeling. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I guess before we go into the story, the last thing from me is uh, War, uh, Black Library Live. So, oh yes, yeah, we should probably yeah. mention that, yeah. should probably mention that. So, time of recording, it's a week today. Um so myself and Jamie and our buddy James, who's not on the podcast, um, but he's a—he's actually my old housemate and friend from school, uh, but he's still part of our Warhammer gang, um, geographically closer to Jamie than I am at the moment. Um, but yeah, uh, we're, we'll be driving up, but myself and Jamie are really open to chatting with people. I'm going to bring up the gear so that if, if the mood strikes us, we can record something really quickly. I'm going to be quite ad hoc about it, I think. I'm not going to try and plan. I think if we just... People are out there and here that I'm planning to get this out live before we go. Um, yeah. Absolutely just be like, yo, I want to talk about this book. I don't care what it's about. Let's just talk. Like, it'd be really fun. Um, yeah. Just even general stuff like what books you got you into it, you know, what, yeah, he's your favorite character, etc. Yeah. I mean, we just sit in the bar and yeah. chat. Yeah, it'd be lovely. So no, so for me, no promises. We might not do anything. Um, I, I'd like to think you and I will do some kind of Black Library Live wrap up episode, um, just to cover off what we did and what we saw. And I mean, I'm buzzing, man. We're gonna get to see yeah. Dan Abnett and God knows who else. I think there's still people um, unconfirmed yeah. as attending. So who knows? Who knows that who's gonna be there? But um, yeah, I'm excited. It's gonna be cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to there's a there's a thing. There's some her- new heresy books that are coming out. And there's a talk about that, so yeah, it's good. I think I would definitely be on Instagram, putting some posts or stories during the day, so people can, you know, people over the world who, who do follow us, those few people, then they can, yeah, check it out as we as we see it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Proper nerd weekend away. It's gonna be good. Um, it's always good to go. Warhammer World, isn't it? It feels weird to be going up up, up out there without a carry case of models, but I think <laughs> it's actually probably the right thing to do. Actually, I don't think there was any. I think I did ask about tables. I'm pretty sure they said they was them not going to do any tables that day anyway. Oh, Probably fair, like space yeah, yeah, fair, so. fair. Yeah, it's my first event of this kind, really. I mean, I did Games Day quite a few times as a youth. One of them with James, who will be joining us. Um, but I've never been to like a you know Horus Heresy weekender or Black Library weekend or anything. So keen to see what it's like. Um, I feel like I'm a new kid at school kind of feeling. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, like. There's gonna be all these well-established Black Library nerds, and we're we're the new nerds. It's gonna be fun. Yeah. Um, I'm sure be squealing like a like a variable schoolgirl. Oh my god, it's Dan Abnett! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, sign my book. Yeah. Um. I mean, to tell you what, though, last time we went to um, Warhammer World, I did meet Gav Thorpe, which was lovely. Um. Uh, he's signed my Angels of Caliban book, I think it was. Which is and he's really lovely. So you forget they're normal people, right? I do. Yeah. Um, 
So I guess the last, last, last thing from me is uh, thank you for the wonderful shout out from Graham McNeil. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm sure he doesn't actually listen to the podcast, but if he does, that's incredible. Um, but that was that was nice. That, yeah, um, I mean, I was yeah sitting. I just put out, you know, because you all voted on what book we're going to do next, and for those of you who don't know, we're going to do uh, Priests of Mars, the first one in the Forges of Mars trilogy. And you did the vote on Instagram, so I just retweeted that on Twitter and just put him in, you know, just for, well, he's the author, give him some credit. And then he just replied to us saying, I'm looking forward to hear what we have to say. So a little bit of pressure that the book better be good. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, God's sake, Graham, why is your book so shit? (laughs) Can you imagine? Um, But no, I've I've started it. I'm enjoying it, but... Oh, yeah. yeah, I'm halfway through and it's it's not shit. Yeah, it's definitely not shit. So don't worry, Graham. You're in for a good ride. Um, so yeah, I guess uh, that's that's hobby and life and everything in between covered. Um, let's jump into the book, man. So you start. You start. Let's do this. All right. So it is the first one of the Eisenhorn trilogy, Xenos, and it follows the Inquisitor Gregor Eisenhorn. Um, a bit of background I did a research on this book was initially they were going to do an Inquisitor video game, I believe. And they sent Dan, you know, some pictures, some concept art, you know, just you send one of the authors to have a look at this stuff, don't you? He knows all about the backgrounds. And he was like, I believe he was looking at it and was like, why isn't this a book? You know, you've got some good stuff for a computer game, but I want to write this book, basically. So they were like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. You know, here's the date for when we were thinking of when the computer game was going to be released. Give us a book, you know, a script or whatever by then. And he did, and he produced this book. And I think the computer game was actually then delayed, and it did come out eventually, but then it basically followed the story of Xenos. So. That's interesting, because um, I, did, I didn't know that. When you mentioned it to me, I was like, oh, holy shit, that's different. Um, but no, I had no idea. I mean, so is it, was, was, the, was, was, he, was Gregor a character created by a gaming company then? Or no, was I it more that they just had like a mould of a man? An outline, so they had yeah. like sort of like they want to do an inquisitor and they want to sort of and here was some like basically it was just concept art of here's a few places they want the inquisitor here's what he may look like here's some maybe supporting characters and dan was just like oh this looks really cool can i write a book on an inquisitor basically yeah that's nice was just like yeah go for it (laughs) nice so i think my first uh uh meeting with Eisenhorn of any kind was probably the uh, Inquisitor game um, that came out back in, uh, I was still living in Romford in Essex, that must have been like late 90s I think that came out, was it early 2000s, like 2000 maybe Um, maybe, and they're the bigger models they were like the fucking hench like action figures almost but he was different and that's so that was like my only real touchings with him and I don't know why this character has ever passed me by so much compared to other known 40k characters but i was assumed he was a bald old man so like getting this book and be like oh he's not a bald old man and then realizing oh his story's going to be really long um that was quite a yeah, nice feeling so it's long but it only covers three books i think there are, there's another series isn't there outside of this that covers another inquisitor yes uh his his protege uh ravenor if i remember correctly Ravenor, yeah and that's yeah. a bigger series than this but yeah yeah. yeah, as you say, it covers his time. It covers a, a long period. Those three books cover his lifetime almost to the full extent, I think, don't they? So. Yeah, no, it's crazy. 
crazy. Um, so that's cool. That's a nice bit of context. So I'm imagining he wrote it fairly quickly, given that he had deadlines and stuff. Yeah, I was looking at the back of this book, actually, and it says Eisenhorn Xenos computer game coming to PC summer 2015. Yeah, so yeah. That computer game follows this book, basically, and that was, that was obviously then delayed and came out a lot later. Yeah, so th- I, this this game, I remember it coming out fairly, yeah, it was a couple of years ago, I remember it being advertised. Again, didn't know anything about Gregor as a character. Um, but I, have, I wonder if the other game was, you know, earlier, earlier. This is a re-rendition, maybe? I have no idea. Yeah, yeah interesting I think to find that out. game, I, I didn't hear, looking back at research, I think it was those concept arts was sort of rolled and rolled and rolled on and on, and then eventually they just all... Once the book came out and pretty popular, they were like, okay, we'll just do this game, just do this book and make a game of that. So, yeah, fair enough. Fair. Yeah, I mean, and it sort of reads a bit like a computer game in some way. I mean, there's, I mean, obviously, stories follow set pieces, but it's sort of, there's a lot of action and then sort of like the story bit and then another set of actions. Oh, yeah, come. yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I will say before we go into any character things that it read like a James Bond story at points, like the first person thing but also the yeah set piece bit of talking set piece bit of talking it gets once you get used to it it's quite good yeah i mean there's a whole there's a bit i want to talk about the first person thing i don't know do you want to talk about it now or yeah go for it go for it well the main gripe i have with this book and it's not a huge one was when you write in first person it's very hard to get what the bad guy's side of things are because you never see it from their side you're always seeing it from Eisenhorn's side yeah and obviously Eisenhorn's a good guy and he sees them as bad guys and he doesn't need to know their motive because he's just there to stop them so but as a reader usually you get the other person's point of view or you get to see why they're doing things and you're like oh okay so it adds a bit more drama to it and you yeah you know it pulls you to both sides with yeah. doing it in first person you don't so that's the only point in this book was the bad guys felt very one-dimensional i completely because, agree yeah because he did it's not because dan did a bad writing on it. it's just obviously it's just something when you write in first person it hinders you on giving that other side so yeah and I, it could be something about the book as well that it does throw you in immediately like oh yeah yeah so sure. so with the with the intro bit aside the first time we really meet gregor you're just chucked straight into the middle of a chase. Like, there's no... I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. There's no um, build-up of... Yeah, there's no build-up of the bad guy or anything. It's just... Uh, it kind of... In my head, I know it's not quite the right comparison, but in my head it was like the scene of Deckard in Blade Runner running through the streets, shooting at that um, female droid. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Like, it was just, like, running through streets and just, like, piping everywhere. You know, like, really industrial and... Uh, yeah very gritty thing to be thrown straight into but i completely agree like the stakes you don't quite know the stakes because they're all from his point of view um yeah and you know uh, first one's good for you know um when you have like things that you're trying to discover as the character discovers it so that's always that was quite good in this book was like oh you're piecing things together and then as he as eisenhorn clicks onto it you click onto it yeah. and you're like oh, okay but then as you say it's it makes the people that he's fighting very one-dimensional because you never really know the background of why they're doing anything, really, or yeah, a little how they got to that stage and a, things. Ever so slightly, um, I don't know what the right word is, 
like moustache twirling like <laughs> yeah, yeah, like sure. it runs the risk of that but I think he manages it really well um, it, and, it, it teetered day, on the brink yeah, yeah exactly and like as I say, do you care really sometimes about the bad guy? In, no. Especially this book, it's, I don't really. Yeah, no, I don't. Him. Yeah, it was his story. That's what I'm interested in. Um, yeah. The conflict is within Gregor, right? That's the point. Um, that's how I perceive it anyway. Is it's always going to be about his moral compass is the, the true challenge of the story. So, yeah. Um, okay, so we're talking about Gregor. Let's, shall we jump into talking about Gregor um, in a bit of detail? Yeah, he's uh, yeah. So when you when you meet him, you sort of get chucked, as you say, chucked straight into him into landing on this Hoth-like planet for a Star Wars uh, sort of description. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's he comes across as you meet him very. He's very sort of straight down the line at this point in his life. He's he works on the Xenos side, Ordo Xenos for the Inquisitor Inquisition. Yeah. But, Which is ironic, right? There's yeah, yeah, yeah. no fucking aliens in this story. <laughs> Just yeah, calling it out right yeah. now. Uh, he's yeah. he's doing someone else's job, apparently. Yeah, and he seems, you know, what we get, you know, as we go through the story, he's very, he's not as like hard. He he is hard lined, but there's you always get the hint of that he's open to like he needs to get the job done, and he sort of will try other things to try and get that yeah up. yeah and i th- i wanted to talk about this i've written it in my notes as a very key point um and i think it's worth really diving into for a couple of minutes is that what we find out quite quickly in the story is there's loads of different strains of inquis- inquisition and by strains i mean it's almost like um uh, thought processes like roads they walk down then they believe in mentally um so he describes himself as a Puritan, it's got a particular name, Puritan Amalathian. So a Puritan Amalathian. Um, and they're really interesting in that um, Puritans are more of like a conservative philosophical, political faction of the Inquisition. So you have like loads of different radical like types of thinking. So some are radicals, some are so far leaning to the right that they're, they've gone insane, but they're still good guys, but they're just brutal. The kind of people that would just wipe a planet out to kill a heretic whereas the puritan strain believe uh, the Amal- Amalath- oh god this name amalathians which he identifies as they believe in the emperor having like a grand plan and yeah. it's their job to continue that plan and allow it to unfold as it should um which i think is really really interesting that kind of um you, you see it quite a few times in the story He's much more about using his authority peacefully, um, without being political with people. So, like, yeah, and that's that's the part of their strain of thought is um, the the Puritans. They believe more in if you work together, we'll stop the bad guys. Essentially, let's not throw our like it's not a dick measure, measuring contest. There's no point being brutal about stuff. Let's work. Let's get the job done. Whereas you see with other characters, the, the radicals and stuff. It is very much going up to an imperial commander and saying, "Give me your entire force. I'm now in charge." And he doesn't really do that. I think that's really um, interesting. Yeah, he's very really good at like sort of working. He, I think mean, at the beginning of the story, he's, he works with the authority, and he he knows that he can just override them. But he's like, oh, it's, he sort of he knows it makes his life easier anyway, just to sort of let them 
sort of help take a lead, but obviously he's in charge. But he he's, he seems a bit more chilled out than the rest than your normal inquisitor, basically. To me, at this point, he's sort of I got a job to do, but I'm going to work with some people just to you know ease the gears a little bit and just get some stuff yeah. done. But he does come up with this one great line, I think, to another character when he like, tells to work with him. He goes. Who do you work for? And he goes. The other character goes. Oh, I work for the emperor, of course. And he goes. And then pretend I'm him, and you won't be far wrong. <laughs> yeah, there was part of so me. It's like, God, your head must be swelling up at that point. But it's right. Yeah, it's. Yeah, I mean, it gives you that insight in what being an inquisitor is like. It's basically you, your emperor, and then your order, basically. So. Yeah, man. I think even space marines. I know they're they sort those two are kept separate a lot of the time. They don't don't interact too much outside of some orders, but I think even the Inquisition have that sort of rule over even Space Marines, say. That, yeah, they will um, ultimate authority, Inquisitors. They can yeah. they can call on, on um, any any fa- any arm of the massive, sprawling military um, to make them do what they need them to do. But he doesn't seem to ever really do that in this. He's very much more about, I've got a job to do, and just make help me do it, essentially, which I really like. It's... it's it's a warming character feature, um, which I quite enjoy. Yeah, he's very likable. Yeah, this, yeah. Especially in this, as I said, we haven't read the other two books. I don't know. No. I presume you sort of, as you go in the story, you still like him. But at this point, he's very, as I say, he's sort of, he's sort of easygoing. He, he's a very likable character. And obviously, being first person, you're sort of in him. But in him. It's, <laughs> <laughs> he, yeah, he's a good character. I just, uh, he's very nice. He's cool. Um... There's a bit of history. There's a few things. Because I think at one point they note that he's he's got a one of the a ship a mark from the black ships. So obviously he was taken as a child. Due yep. to, as yeah. As we yeah. find out that he has an ability, he's got sort of a Jedi mind trick going on. So weak-minded individuals he can influence by speaking. So like say, put down your weapon, and they, they'll put down the weapon, realizing not what they're doing. Yeah, so, it's just having a really forceful presence, and yeah, I like it. He, we will just go, drop that gun, and people just randomly do it. Um, yeah, it's very cool. So yeah, there's there's a little bit of hint on his background. Obviously, he was seen to have that as a child and was taken, obviously, and then put into the Inquisition. So. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's it, yeah. But again, we don't get to know too much, right? It does just chuck us in and off you go, which I think yeah, is quite fun. It, it does talk about his other people at Torton, but again, it's very little at this point. So. Mm. I think what I also really liked, and I, again, I'm going to go back to James Bond, which is really silly. I know James Bond has his, was it Walter PP7, his pistol, his signature pistol? Yeah. But did you ever get the feeling in this that like he does just use what he can get? Like, yeah, I think... It's like, oh, I'm just going to use this, and I'm going to use this, and do you know what? I quite fancy using this, and I really liked that. It was just like, it showed like a diversity of like, here's my challenge, I'm going to use what I can, and I really, I really enjoy that. And it can even be Xenos Tech. I don't think he has any issue with necessarily picking up alien weaponry, and if it's there, to use it. I know some Inquisitors would be totally against that, you know. Yeah. Pistol, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's... I like him a lot. I think he's a really fun character. Um, shall we talk about the rest of his uh, his gang, his uh, yeah, band his... of merry men and woman? <laughs> yeah. So I think 
they, they mention several. Only he's got this ship called a gun cutter, which I think is a cool name for a ship. Great name. Um, yeah. The pilot for that is a guy called uh, Bentoncourt. Yeah, Bentoncourt, Bentoncourt. Yeah, uh, Midas, Midas, the amazing yeah. pilot. Yeah, he he was great. He's he's well, more. Than... About... Sorry, go on. I was going to say one thing about this name. He's called Bentoncourt for a lot of the book, and then suddenly it gets changed to Midas. At some point, so I, was, I had to look back and like, wait a minute, who's Midas? Because the only name was Benton for yeah. It's funny you mention that because I, I had a few things in, in when reading it where the names are slightly unrecognizable when you get used to reading certain names. Like they're just they're so all over the place. Yeah. Um, I forgot how much I rely on the dramatis thing at the beginning of all the Horus Heresy books. Yeah, yeah. Where you can just quickly flip back and go, oh yeah, that person's that person. When when you don't have that, it's like oh god, I have to really drill into my head who these people are, and I can't remember. Um, but Benson calls more than just the pilot, right? He's also shit hot at combat. Yeah, I think yeah, d- yeah, definitely. He's he's basically his right hand, um, Eisenhorn's right hand man, basically. Yeah, he's uber capable. Yeah, and he's got even got like circuits implanted in his palms, so when he flies a ship, that like, he sort of doesn't really. Have, you just got to think about doing stuff, and it gets transferred to the ship. So, yeah. yeah, he's he's yeah, pretty cool. He's, yeah, but even hint about some past about him at the beginning, like he had a drug problem when he found him. So yeah, it's just little bits like that add some character. Yeah, yeah, I think um, uh, Gregor does turn uh, turn a blind eye to his drinking. Like he wouldn't, he doesn't want him to, but he does. I think there's a bit where they get off their ship and he immediately just starts swigging on some booze, and he's just like, oh, fine, whatever. Um, yeah. I really like that. Um, yeah. So then we've also got. Amos, who I really like. Um, yeah, he's a cool character. Sure. Very cool. Uh, so he's like, uh, he's got a particular name for his job role, but he's basically um, a kind of know-it-all, kind of your. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna do it again. It's like James Bond's Q. Like, yeah, um, I, got that. I definitely got that feel from it. I've yeah. Got my notes here said he's 278 years old. He's like heavily augmented. Yeah, he's a savant. Give... That's what he's called. Savant. Yeah, that's yeah. the one. Yeah. And he says something about him in the past that he was gifted to him, to Eisenhorn, when his first master, Hapshant, died of cerebral worms. Yeah, grim. And he wears, he wears a bullet that saved his life because when he got shot and they took the bullet out, they also found that he was like riddled with cancer. So Yeah, yeah there's some moments. cool little bits about him. He also contracted a virus when he was young, so that... He has this compulsion now to collect data on everything. Yeah, yeah, he, he literally is completely unaware of what's going on around him. He's still a person, but I love that, like, they could be in the middle of a bloody mission and he's noting down the the brand of, you know, I don't know, like, bookcase in front of him. He's studying it. Yeah. He has to document it for whatever bloody reason. Um, <laughs> There's, like, a... all the keys on his data slate, like, worn completely smooth. Or just yeah. Like, relentlessly tapping at inputting data. Which but, is really helpful for Eisenhorn. Oh, yeah. Eisenhorn obviously uses him immensely well. Um, knowledge is the key to power and all that. Um, so you've got Amos, we've covered Banth's core. Um, so actually, the only other one that was part of his crew at the very beginning is Loink, because there was another junior Inquisitor that's part of their gang, but actually yes. we don't get to know anything about her, right? Yeah. It's a, bit, it's a bit jarring, actually, when you're like, oh, okay. But I guess it's to add that um, 
add that bit in the book where you, like people do die, so your characters could die. So yeah. I guess I know why he's added into it, but you didn't get any background about her. No, so, there's there's just name. a yeah exactly. I can't remember her name now. That's how. What was it? Maybe. Maybe. I need to look at the book, but she's just a junior inquisitor. I say just. I mean that's an immense job, but. Um, but she, they're they're hunting down the bad guy at the very beginning and get into a very quick fight. Does she get beaten to death or does she get shot? Um, I, I think it's just shot. Yeah. Just shot. Just shot. Just. Both are terrible. Um, so we've got Loink, who's the um, the um, telepath, I believe, on the yeah, gun cutter. Yeah, yeah. So you got him. He's not much of a front character really he's there but he doesn't really go on missions does he he's just sort of hides on the ship i guess yeah i guess he's he's just another uh, it's just another way for eisenhorn it, he's used in the story basically to help get eisenhorn from place to place to place yeah as, he, a... as an astropath telepath is meant to do anyway so plot device a little bit about saying that he's actually quite new to eisenhorn and he's still quite young but his body is already starting to like deteriorate yeah yeah, the warp does that to people. Um, so you got Loink, who's on the ship. Then we got three characters that come into the story at different points, but without going into too many details, all become part of Eisenhorn's rabble, I guess. Yeah. So you got um, Elizabeth Beckwin, um, who I thought was a fucking great character, um, who's actually. Uh, uh, she's a lady of the night. Is that she was essentially a sex worker, from what I could understand, without it yeah. going into too many details. But she just happens to be in a room at the same time as Eisenhorn chasing someone. Um, and yeah, I think he jumped. They like raiding a building. He jumps up to the first story, smashes in through a bedroom, and there she's there with a, a punter, maybe a yeah, as you would say. So yeah, he. Yeah. And obviously, there's something instinctively that hits Eisenhorn about her. Uh, he's like, "Ah, oh, okay." It's yeah. Obviously, she's a um, a, a null. As yeah, she, yeah. He he can't judge her, and he can't. His powers don't work on her, and she's a bit of a void. Um, yeah. So, like the sisters of silence, basically. Essentially, yeah, yeah. And I don't know how she's managed to survive in the Imperium with a psychic power, or lack of, without ever being found before. Yeah, but, they give a really cool. She, they go into that a little bit actually in her background where she's like I've always sort of had bad luck wherever I've gone yeah and, and people don't like her this. yeah 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 and, and Gregor even like has an immediate dislike of her in, in like an emotional one that he can't understand yeah. he's like yeah, I don't get like, it I just really can't be around her I hate her yeah he's like she's like you know fairly you know even for him he's like she is good looking and stuff but I really cannot stand it puts him on edge like it's like you know like fingernails on a chalkboard to him. yeah it's like Ugh, he can't. Yeah, he can't. Say. And obviously, he grows as the relationship grows on. They they grow more friendly and stuff. But the initial contact with her is like, whoa, okay. Yeah, and I think um, Loink has a bit of a problem with her as well for the same reason. I think uh, if I remember yeah. correctly, he's like keep her at the other end of the ship, um, which I really <laughs> like. His job is to talk to the warp. So yeah, please don't switch me off. Stop yeah. That. yeah. yeah. Um, and then. Uh, fucking great character like there's so many cool moments in my head you got um goodwin fissage how do you pronounce it fissig i was just saying fissig in my head that yeah. who was a basically a cop right like a kind of a cop yeah he's a chastener 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 a, 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 a 
He was an Arbite. Yeah. It's basically Just Judge Dredd. Yeah. yeah, that's why I put it. He's, they're basically uh, judges. So yeah. they, they, are, they convict people and then can execute them on the spot. Yeah, it's fantastic. So like he, he ends up being hijacked by... Not hijacked, but he already has a job. He's uh, Arbite in charge of looking, working with Gregor on Hubris, the planet in the first chapter, first couple of chapters. Um, and he's charged by his boss to essentially stick with Eisenhorn while... Eisenhorn completes this mission, and Eisenhorn's not that happy about it at first. He's a bit um, yeah. He 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 does what he, he always does. He goes right. If I'll let this happen because this is the right thing, but it pisses him off. Yeah, he knows he's been assigned to him basically to be the eyes and ears for the. I think they're called. For his name is called Carpel. He's like the head, uh, head guy of as you say of um, Hubris. So he's basically Eisenhorn knows he's been assigned to him basically so he can keep tap on Eisenhorn. Yeah. But as you find out through the story that actually uh Fischig doesn't he kind of wants a bit more excitement in his life, you know. Yeah. Hubris is a planet where half most ninety percent of the population are asleep a lot. So Yeah, and what a fucking yeah, he, hero. There's a bit where it actually says in the story the um the Imperial Guard really could have done with someone like him, he would have been an immense leader. Like he's such a good combatant and I re- yeah, I really liked him. Isn't there a point where he's yeah, running around with like a that. heavy machine gun without any tripod? Yeah, he's got heavy stub. He's just walking around with it, firing it. It's fucking great. Um, but yeah, so he's cool. And I like how he's just like a, essentially just a solid, like, copper almost. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's all about doing good. It's just doing good for the right reasons. He's really great. Yeah. Um, I think um, it's him on the cover, isn't it, next to Eisenhorn? Uh, yes, yes, with the cool helmet and the shotgun thing, the uh, plasma yeah. gun on his shoulder. Um, I think he says to Eisenhorn, they're like in a speeder, and he's like, oh, do you have any weapons? So, yeah, I've got a load of shotguns in the back seat. Like, yeah, yeah cool. so gnarly. And the last character I wanted to tap into, who I think is awesome, is Tobias Maxilla, who um, yeah. is fucking great what, what, is he a rogue trader or is he a mechanicum dude I think he's a rogue trader right yeah he's a rogue trader but yeah. he is as we as they sort of find out a bit more like he's basically half of him is augmented already so and he's got no one else on his ship so he runs it all with mechanicum of, stuff yeah yeah by servitors but like the mention of him to start with is like a bit like a French dandy he's got like powdered wig and powdered yeah. face he wears very like lavish clothes it's kind of like how um, you know you need to get pirates of the Caribbean, but actually pirates were all like you know big wigs and yeah yeah yeah. Out of face, kind of a bit like that in that sense. Yeah, I really liked yeah, him. Cool I th- there's there's cool. It was kind of like he just did not feel remotely human, or in, almost like by wearing all of that, he's trying to blast his humanity at people. But really, he's got no interest in them. You know, he doesn't spend much time with them, and doesn't you know most of his body isn't actually human. Um, yeah, he's an interesting character because at first you you do query his motivations for helping Eisenhorn, yeah. um, and Eisenhorn does. Eisenhorn's very aware of he might be using Gregor because of Gregor's status as an Inquisitor, but it turns out actually that's not really true. Um, he's just yeah, uh, he just point. he wants to do right for the Imperium, which I really yeah. like. In the background is a bit where he's like, you know, I do help the Inquis- Inquisition, you know. I might get helped in the future, but it's not his main motive. So. No, no, it's really nice. 
Um, so for me, that's that's the main characters, really. Um, shall we jump into the story? Um, uh, I think it's worth noting to our listeners, we're not we're not going to go in as depth as we did with um, our love letter to the Night Lords, um, but we will touch points, I guess, um, and just elaborate on some of the stuff we thought was cool um, and any other bits we thought weren't great, if there are any. Um, so where does it start, Jamie? So we start on a... So one of the very cool bits I liked was the prologue at the very beginning where you sort of get this... I like how it's all set out, like, you know, location this, recovered servitor, recording module, da-da-da-da, and it's all like a found footage camera, basically, or some some weird stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like you get this bit where it says main subject in long robes drives past uh, pick source, speech unrecoverable. And it's all that, this sort of thing. And yeah, you basically yeah. follow these... It kind of seems... To, it's an inquisitor. And he, they're sort of... Be, they're attacking this sort of coven. This sort of chaos, chaos coven. Yeah. And it's really... It's kind of like hardcore. Like there's bits where it's like... You know, cuts off. Opens up to bodies on the floor. And it's... Yeah, it's really cool. A really cool way to start a book. Yeah. I it, it took me... I think I had to reread the first two pages about three times to get it. Because I was just like... I think I was on my way to work on a Monday morning or something, and I was yeah. a bit just like, "What? What am I reading?" Um, but no, it's fucking cool. It's really, really um, atmospheric. It reminded. Yeah. It, what did it remind me of? For some reason, and I don't know why it popped into my head when I read it, but it reminded me of um, Terminator One, where they're showing Sarah Connor the video footage of Kyle Reese's interview, where like, yeah, yeah, yeah. where it's like black and white footage, and it's really intense, and he's like, and. You won't be able to stop him. It'll rip out your fucking heart. Like it was just that same kind of tone for me. Like yeah. I read that thinking whoever was watching this, it would have been terrifying. Um, so that was very cool. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think, and at the point, and there's a bit that at the end of this bit, which I didn't, I didn't click for ages through the half of this book is, um, it's I just imagine the service, this sort of servitor skull, service skull floating around, taking all this image, and then at the end you find that this um, sort of demon has killed killed everyone that's been trying to attack him. And it picks up and it says, uh, the the text says, close up of face, look into pixels, identity unknown, is handsome, sculptural, smiling, eyes blank. And that yeah. is a major part of the story. I didn't click for me for ages. Yeah. And then it says, hello, look, thing, I am Cherubil, which we will probably will touch on later on, but he's sort of this, the big bad hiding through this book. Yeah, with, yeah. And he sort of haunts Eisenhorn with the, the character of the eyes blank, but it didn't click for me for ages. Cause yeah, just, me like, neither. This little, this little thing. So yeah. Yeah, very spooky. Um, okay, so we've had the lovely intro video thing that kind of just sets a, a intense scene. Then we jump into hubris, I believe. Yeah. So I said before, it's kind of like this bit where it's like a Hoff planet, it's just an ice planet. Uh, in the dark, and they're chasing a character called. Iceland, Iceland, Iceland. Uh, I cannot remember for the life of me already. Um, it's some mental. Is he a psyker? I can't remember. Yeah, he is similar to yeah, similar to Eisenhorn in in his power. I think it, it, they seem quite evenly matched. Yeah, uh, Murdin Iclone. Iclone, yeah. And he's been Iclone. chasing. It seems like you get the sort of thing that he's been 
chasing him for quite a while, sort of over a system. I think yeah, it, it mentions over a year. It, it felt it felt like you're being chucked into the final act of a film. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it felt like this was the finale of something, and you're like, "What's well, it in the beginning of the book? What the hell is yeah. going on?" Yeah, yeah. Um, so they're running through. Um, if I remember, like a so Hubris is a snow planet like Hoth, where people seem to hibernate for a long time in big yeah, like. Yeah. Definitely up the classes or something. Yeah, like all the rich people hibernate um, to stay out of the snow periods of the planet and they all wake up when it's warm again. Um, the, I like that they, they um, worship the emperor as a sun. That like The sun is a symbol on their planet because it brings warmth and it brings life. and That taps into that lovely thing of the Inquisition doesn't give a shit about how you worship yeah, yeah. the emperor. It's down to the planet. There's no hard and fast rules as long as you do. Um, yeah, it seems like they they knew they were gonna worship them him as the sun, so like fine, it's easy way for us to keep control of them. So yeah, yeah. let's do that. Um, but they're they're all asleep. Like I I I didn't quite get the numbers in my head or anything, but I'm a, it's it's a huge number, right? It's thousands, yeah, it's, thousands. It's, yeah, it's like ninety percent of the population. So. Yeah, so it's millions. Um, but I imagined in my head is the pods. You know those pods out of uh, the Matrix when yeah, yeah, you know, it's like that in my head. Maybe not as grimdark but still grimdark um so yeah they're chasing through that and he's kind of um intentionally waking up uh midas yeah, is he, guys, he's like he's blowing up bits of the um of like the power supply he's blowing up tubes to these pods and he's just basically he's trying to distract eisenhorn so he's he, to get to some point in this tomb for it seems to like another purpose yeah this is quite a cool bit when he's sort of going for it and Eisenhorn gets, you know, as these people are sort of stumbling out of there, waking up, like, what the hell's going on to me? And, you know, like, basically like zombies. And he's like, there's a woman, some woman stumbles in front of him and he's like, oh, do I, you know, she's dying, basically, because she's just been... They they have to be woken up a, up a certain way, right? They have to be woken up properly, otherwise they basically go into shock and die. Yeah, yeah, and so he's like, oh, do I... Do I kill her? But he's basically he can't do that because uh, that would be against his Inquisition code. He can't sort of mercy kill someone because yeah. you know that would cause a whole shitstorm with the planet. So he's like, he has to just leave her like, having a brain hemorrhage yeah. essentially. Yeah, and he, he's like, there are worse deaths, but he says, but for my, you know, there would be worse deaths if it wasn't for my actions. He's like, is that arrogant? Perhaps it's arrogance, but that's a virtue of the Inquisition. Yeah, <laughs> so good. Um, so he carries on chasing him, right? And he does have henchmen with him, um, yeah, who seem very fine. capable, like very capable henchmen. Like they're not just like they're not dullards. They're pretty fucking good at what they do. Yeah. Um, seems to be they under they seem to be under his mind control as well. Right? Yeah. So they're sort of like this. Yeah. So they they run through, um, and I can't even remember how the final showdown happens. What does what does oh, Gregor do? Uh, he, this is where we find uh, Eisenhorn uh, radios to Bentoncourt, and they, they have this, they have their own little speech. And so this happens throughout the book as well. It's called Glossia, where I know I read some reviews, other reviews, people like, well, what's the point of putting this? Because you don't understand what they're saying. And you're like, read it. It's not that difficult to interpret what they're saying. So basically, yeah. he radios him and says, bring the ship. <laughs> yeah. To yeah, the yeah. tomb. So, yeah. And then he he sort of catches him on the top of the tomb. He's got the gun cutter mows down all the henchmen with like auto cannons, basically. Oh, like, so good. Rail guns. So they, yeah. I think it says later on that the remains are in plastic bags, liquefied. That's yeah. how much like, rail guns them down. 
and then Eisenhorn basically pulls his gun and puts it, he smashes it into his mouth where the, the trigger guard breaks his teeth and, like, says, you know, like, stand down. And he can see, I think he can see him going for his own pistol, so basically he has to blow his brains back out. Yeah. He wanted him alive, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely sure, but he, he knew that he wasn't going to go peacefully. So yeah. I think he, the shot <laughs> blows out the back of his head and hits the gun cutter, and he's like, oh, sorry, Benton Corn, <laughs> chip the ship. <laughs> yeah, that's so grim. So that tomb you mentioned is pretty important, right? Uh, yeah, they find something in the tomb, and they were like, oh, what's this? Like, It's like a coffin, like a small, like a smallish case coffin thing. And there's a meant to be something put in the middle. And they're like, oh, we can't... It seems like this was made for something, and he was delivering something to this box, and he was going to... Some big plan was going to happen, but they don't know what it's for. So Eisenhorn's sort of like, okay, well, we'll take it with us. This may be an important part of our case. Yeah, which it is. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, foresight. Um, okay, so they catch up with the rest of the... You know, it's when we meet Fissage and his boss and they're talking about, oh great, that went well and I think uh, Gregor and the gang do a couple of bit uh, they're investigating other leads on the planet that because they know that there's probably more to follow, even though they've caught the big bad there's that feeling of uh, maybe he's not the big bad, he's part of a bigger bad Yeah, I think they're like, because no one really travels to this planet at this point, you know, when everyone's hibernating so they want to know how he got to this planet because he's not from here so they're sort of following back. They've caught this guy, so they want to follow the leads back to maybe where he came from and then find what else has happened. So this is, they're looking at all the records of all the ships that have come in, and I think he's been here for quite a while, so they're following that up. Yeah, yeah. There's some, I can't remember how they get to this point, but there's some mention of like a quite a rich house on the edge of the... Edge of the they all live in Sundome, basically, so they go to this city, and it's really bright and this is where the people who are awake stay during this point and so they go to this house where um he may have been holding up before yeah and basically they find a load of his henchmen still there so as they sort of break down the door this is where eisenhorn then meets um meets our uh elizabeth yes yeah that's, that's where she is um uh bequin that's the house we mentioned earlier and he kind of just yeah. takes her in, right? That's that's it. He's like, yeah, you, you can hang out with me for a bit, I guess. I think she sort of saves his life, doesn't he? He she he shoots the guy that's sort of her client, and then another guy comes up in the doorway and she stabs him. I think him. stabs him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, so yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah. Oh, cheers. Stay he's put. Like, I have questions for you later. Yeah, yeah. You and me need to talk, you babe. Um, <laughs> so, long story short. Um, they they end up leaving the planet right, and they head to another planet, and they have. Um, yeah, so they, I think part of it is one of the henchmen before, um, he gets his head blown, his like mind blown apart by a failsafe that the bad guy puts into him, which is really cool. Yeah, so it's like knows that if they get caught, basically their head explodes. Um, they have one word, I think it's Pontius. Yeah, and um, Amos. Is looking for all the background of possible links to Pontius, and they one of the backgrounds is Pontius Glaw, yeah, which is this guy who was like a uh, really rich, really well known family, but he started to get into delve into chaos. 
He was a hysteric pornographer, as they put. <laughs> he was a bit of a loser of the family, right? Like he was like the the the, the failure son of a bigger, Maybe, yeah, yeah, bigger, remember. huge yeah. family that had like loads of power. Um, and he was yeah the black mark on their family. So as he started to fall to chaos, he became aware of the Inquisition, and he was slain by an Inquisitor. So Eisenhorn's a bit like, oh, why is this name coming up again now? This guy's dead. So they sort of trace back where Iclone or Iclone came from, and they find some of the ship's manifests that came from there. So they follow the ship where that came from. So they go to another planet. Yeah, yeah that's that's where we meet um, Max. Um, is it Maxilla? Yeah. So, yeah, that's where we meet Tobias. They, they, I like this. So very worth pointing out. I think that uh, Eisenhorn doesn't throw his weight around and demand a ship from someone. He pays for the right to travel on. A road trader's ship. He barters yeah. like he treats him like anyone else. It's it's not a I'm requisitioning this entire fleet. It's a which hey, he could do. which he could do, and he's well within his he, he has the authority, but he knows that that will cause an uproar for someone somewhere. So he just they barter and they park their gun cutter on um, on Max uh, yeah Maxilla's ship. There's a really good bit. So it shows the 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 depth of uh, I guess spiness you know this is where the sort of the spy stuff comes into it and the yeah. backstabbiness is they're they're having a great time on this ship they're actually he gets on with max maxilla really well like they they do bond um in their brief travel to the next planet so i don't think it's too far is it no i think yeah it's in the same system yeah relatively and so i think yeah maxilla he's got no human company actually i think he quite likes having a bit of human company like, yeah not yeah too much like and obviously he's an inquisitor, so obviously he's got you know quite good tales to tell. And I think Maxwell is really into his art as well. He's got loads of like sculpture and paintings, yeah, yeah. So the sort of mutual love of the arts and culture and stuff. So. There's a really good bit where so Gregor's not too sure uh, in terms of he, am I being used by a rogue trader because of my yeah. authority? But he's requested. Uh, it's quite they're on their they're on the ship for a long time. It's like a, I think it's like four weeks, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and and they get nearer to the planet, and uh, Max Maxilla calls, uh, requests that he he join him on the deck because they're about to be um, boarded by a sort of security check force, um, Imperial Navy um, yeah. group. And Gregor is umming and ahhing about even bothering because um, he's he's convinced he's being used as a as a weight to make them go away and it makes him go if i find out there's something on this ship and you're using me to protect that we're gonna have a problem um yeah he's like i'm gonna have to report it <laughs> yeah i am going to report it if, if they find something i want nothing to do with it um but it turns out actually they're there for gregor which i thought was such a i didn't see it coming if i'm honest it caught me yeah, out yeah. so these... i think you're giving that hint for that maxilla may not be all that he looks like so you're like oh is he going to double cross him double you know what's going to happen and he's like oh shit yeah so it's the navy guys though yeah so the navy guys come on the ship and gregor just notices uh, it's his intuition as an inquisitor he notices that imperial navy shipboarding troopers are notoriously fucking strict you know they're proper military men they stand upright they had their guns to their chest you know proper straight up and down troopers and he notices these guys are kind of weird. They're out of formation. They look a bit lazy. They look a bit slack. And he's just not quite sure why he doesn't feel comfortable around them. Yeah. 
And then he goes, then they call him by his name, and they're like, he's like, oh, wait. I didn't How say do you know my name? Yeah, I didn't say who I am. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then they open fire <laughs> on on Gregor and Maximilian. And as as you can imagine, they're there to kill him. It turns out that they're part of this deeper conspiracy. Um, they fail. Um, I think Maximilian gets pretty... He gets pretty fucked up, actually. And then we find out that he's like 60-70% machine anyway. Yeah, he's like... He gets like legs blown off and he crawls into this thing and he comes out and he's like... like got servitors working on him again it's like yeah i'll be fine in a you know, couple of weeks yeah um gregor kills a couple with his stub pistol and there's that really cool bit where he's counting how many bullets he's got it's like he's firing them he's like fuck i've only got like two bullets left and i think there's only two guys left so he leads them on like a chase around an engine room or something yeah and, and that's when you find out his like inquisitor raise like can control most stuff yeah i didn't know that that was brand yeah. new bit of information for me i thought it was just a thing they wore yeah yeah but it can hijack into any technical system. So he leads him into that engine room, right? And then he just turns it on. Um, yeah, he turns on like a piston and like superheated gas and just like vaporizes one and squashes the other. So. Yeah, it's fucking cool. Um, so that was really good. So that, that I think that wakes up Gregor, really, to, oh shit, this is bigger than we think it is. Um, and then they end up on the planet. Um, yeah, so I was going to say, like, the one thing about this book that... Is a, was a bit of a struggle with me was the jumps from planet to planet to planet and why they're going from planet to planet. If you're not paying full attention, you can you can miss the link of why they're going somewhere. Yeah. Like I missed the link of why they went to this other planet, but then I, I, it becomes more evident as you read on. But that was the only that's the only sort of gripe I had about the whole book was like because it's quite jumping from place to place to place and time. Not, yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you're not paying full attention to the links and the the clues you can miss on why they're doing stuff. Yeah, it's very much like, oh, now they're in a planet that's got rivers everywhere. What the fuck is going on? Like, what is this place? Um, yeah. Yeah, so keeping it short and sweet, why, what do they find on this planet? What are they looking for? Uh, basically, they find the guy who brought the ice clone, ice clone guy. He's part of this sort of um, guild, like trade guild. And they find one of the guys... One, the ship that brought him to Hubris, and there's a massive, basically have a massive chase with this guy. He's like a pirate, basically, and mm-hmm. a rogue trader. And he gets <laughs> there's like some big military parade on this planet. I think it's called Gudrun. Gudrun. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> some military parade where they've just all been a new Imperial Guard sort of force uh, has been raised. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he and during this chase, this um, rogue trader runs into this middle of this parade and basically he just gets beaten to death by these new yeah guard troops yeah they, then they shoot him off of a bike kind of thing and blow it up and they're all cheering because yeah, yeah. they it's saw like combat before blood. they even left their planet yeah yeah and so then, good so I was like oh, okay so you know I found found the guy brought me here but where do I go now and then suddenly another inquisitor turns up this guy called yeah. Voke yeah Commodus Voke yeah, he's like almost a parallel opposite side of uh, Eisenhorn. Yeah, and it turns out that Voke has been on that planet a while investigating the Glor family. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, so it turns out that Gregor's actually stumbled across an operation and almost kind of put his foot in it in terms of exposing the Inquisition to the Glor family. Like, they have to sort of let's work together because otherwise we're going to fuck this up. And I think it's been an ongoing thing for a while. 
let's talk about Voke for a minute. Um, he's definitely a different strain of Inquisitor. Yeah, he's he's like plus three hundred years as well. He's pretty old. Yeah, pretty he's pretty heavily augmented. Um, he's very very hardline. Like yeah, give me your military hardline. Like yeah. we'll go to a planet and use absolutely every resource, and he doesn't give a shit about your feelings. Um, I like him. He's cool. Um, yeah, he's pretty pretty um, big psyker. Like he there's like some mind stuff when they when he first meets Eisenhorn, and he pretty much kicks Eisenhorn's mind. Yeah, doesn't he? he bust yeah, into a room. Yeah, because they they jump into their room not knowing it was uh, another Inquisitor in there, and he just mind bullets him, like puts yeah. puts Gregor on his ass. And um, Elizabeth walks in and just knows <laughs> everything. Knows the situation. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, they investigate the Glore family, and am I right in thinking that's when Eisenhorn and um, Bandicore and the gang um, dress up as traders? They go undercover. Um, and go to meet the Glore family. Um, and they actually, they meet lower levels of it, right? Because they're not deemed as important enough to meet the head of the family. Yeah, they go as, well, there's like a big banquet going on and all different, there's all different levels of society there. So they, yeah, they get put on like a lower table. Yeah. I think down. So yeah, it's that part. Yeah. So they, um, they wander out, you know, they're, they're, they're treated as lovely visitors, uh, trade delegations and blah, blah, blah have a lovely dinner, go back to their rooms, and then that's when Gregor immediately strips off. They're, they're in a massive mansion. I imagined it as like a, you know, huge, huge estate. Essentially, it is a huge estate with huge walls guarding it. It's got its own um, small military supporting it. Like, it's a huge imperial family with huge influence. Um, and, yeah, uh, Gregor gets into like a cool spy Mission Impossible-esque onesie yeah, it's like splinter cell yeah yeah cell. yeah that's it yeah like splinter cell with like his little goggles on and stuff and he basically crawls around the building outside um kind of um assassin's creed style himself up onto the roof and basically wanders around the hallways just sneaking around and in, being an inquisitor um yeah but and i think he, he stumbles on like this thing underneath the, the stable like the speeder stables and he discovers that like, um, the Glaws having this conversation with this other guy. They're having this conversation. They basically they're like whisper, 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 you know, evil stuff, evil stuff. Yeah. yeah. This is like oh, okay, yeah. There's something going on here. So he follows them into a room, and if I remember correctly, that's when he finds the is it the Necrotark? the Necro two. Well, he finds the Pontius. Yeah, he finds the Pontius. So there's this like guarded thing. And they, he, it's got like a weird thing, like aura around it. And um, Eisenhorn like basically kills the guard that's guarding it. And then he like looks into it and he sort of, it feels like it's speaking to him a little bit. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it basically turns around and gets knocked out. So. Yeah, um, he gets knocked out. Uh, the rest of the gang get captured bar Bantacore, if I remember correctly. Um, I think he snuck away. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was all being stealth suity. Yeah. And disappeared. So they, they capture everyone else. Um, and like, who the fuck are you? Yeah, and they, 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 they yeah. beat the shit out of all of them. Um, and then they, they do some pretty horrible stuff that has lifelong effects on Eisenhorn. Um, yeah, so for me, this is where the book sort of like, took another gear. When you went up a gear, it. definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, they find out he's an Inquisitor. They find his stuff, find his rosette. 
and that just sort of adds to the punishment they're going to give to him, basically. So there's this character who is sort of another rogue trader, sort of a, um, a captain of a ship. I can't remember his name. Um... The guy with the red hair, or some? Oh no, yeah, the, the the army guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there's two. There's three people in the room. There's um, Glor, the the family head. I can't remember his name. Um, he does. Uh, he is one of the Glor families. So the the head of the Glor. There's yeah. there's um, a mysterious red uh, man with red hair. Lock. Lock. That's it. Lock is the guy with red hair. I think he's the. Um... He's the one that's torturing Eisenhorn. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And is it is it the guy with the red hair that uses the finger needle things? Yeah, yeah, I think that's the one. Yeah. So they shove a bunch of needles in Eisenhorn's body all over the place, but then this redhead guy shoves them in his face and <laughs> wiggles them around in his brain and stuff, um, and deadens all of the nerves so he can never express anything on his face again. Which I thought was horrible. Like, that's such a horrible torture. Yeah, he says, um, I think when I torture him, Eisenhorn says something like, with all the strength I can muster, I smiled and told him his sister had particularly commended my lovemaking skills over his. <laughs> so good. Um, uh, I can't remember what happens next. They they all get dragged to um, a kind of attack of the, yeah, attack of the clones-esque um, gladiatorial pit which is being looked over by all of the bigwigs that were at the dinner, as well as... Oh, they're all shit-faced as well. So drunk and, like, high on drugs. They just, like, want entertainment, like, screaming for blood. Yeah, so they get thrown into this pit with, like, rusty weapons everywhere. So this is, like, um, some of Voke's men. I think just one of Voke's men um, and the rest of the the crew of Eisenhorn's team. Um... And I swear there's some other people, some red jackets, some red coats that just get yeah. ripped up. Yeah, I think there's some other people. And um, one of Vogue's right-hand guy, he gets pretty mashed up as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it's not just the... It's the whole family, like... Uh, uh, sorry, all the whole uh, family's um, waiters and all of that stuff, like the waiters and the chefs and yeah, the, the staff. The yeah. staff, all the staff, hundreds of them are all there, all hammered, cr- like screaming for blood and they unleash these like crazy dangerous animals into the into the the pit yeah um, carnadons are called i think yeah and they somehow survive some get yeah, mauled eisenhorn freeze one i think from it they're all like chains so they can't get up into the seating and eisenhorn like basically he sort of rolls and breaks one of the chains on one of these beasts and that beast is like fuck this and gets jumps into the crowd and it starts mauling all the um Glory family, basically. Yeah, and all, like all the staff and everything as well, and all the soldiers. Yeah, I think he defended himself with like a rusty scythe or something like that, like a wheat crop scythe or something. And you know, they're all just about surviving. Um, and then Bantacor comes and saves the day. He appears out of nowhere with like a needle rifle, which I thought was so fucking cool. Yeah, like, like a sniper. Pew, pew 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 pew. Like just starts raking it through like all of the guards, and that gives Eisenhorn the chance to grab weapons and start arming everyone that's with him um and that's when they start kicking ass uh and then it goes up another gear like it's not just eisenhorn suddenly you hear booming explosions from the ground above because i'm guessing they were underground right um yeah yeah actually no they're like they're above they're in like the tower 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, I, and Commodus Voke has come to save the day. And I thought it was so cinematic in my head. It was incredible. Like, yeah, it's like Attack of the Clones, as you say. It's like the Jedi basically coming with all the clones. Yeah, and it, what I loved is um, it was Voke's uh, Imperial Navy guys. So, like, I imagined them in my head as, like, head to toe in black with, like, Laz rifles, like, hotshot Laz rifles, like, stormtroopers. Yeah. But additionally, come so they're all coming in through ships, right? I think they, like, land. They just start blowing the shit out of roofs and stuff and start repelling in. Um and then the the whole compound is surrounded and moved in on by the newly founded guard that we saw earlier. They um they get to see action before they leave, which is pretty cool. Um, but there it is a huge battle, right? It's not just like us. We underestimate how powerful Claw's force is in that building. Yeah, like, he says he's got a militia. Here, I got a note. It's the militia of, of an army of four hundred. Yeah, and completely wiped out. Yeah, it was running battles in all the corridors and stuff, wasn't it? Like that, both sides got bloodied, but one side got wiped out. <laughs> um, I thought it was fucking epic. It was a really great part of the book for me. I just thought it was done really, really well. Yeah, as I said, this was the bit of the book where I was like, I, I was sort of that whole sort of other city with the Venice bit when he was like chasing. I was a little bit, you know, I thought maybe falling like, oh, okay, the story is sort of chasing some of the clues and there's a dying out bit and then this this bit sort of took it to the next level yeah balls to the walls action it was just constant um so then that battle's over and um gregor's got some yeah, new... so he... no gone yeah eisenhorn catches up one of these one of the members of the glor family or a friend of the glor family he's called uh uracil uracil right and basically he's shot him and he's like escaping down a corridor when he catches up to him he says that he has a little bit of monologue which sort of really puts on like what this is all about he says um we will pitch the bastard emperor from his golden throne and make him grovel and eat excrement the imperium will burn before oberon which is the little guy and pontius exalted will be the great darkness of slanesh Ooh, slanesh yeah which you sort of get the feeling from like the party they've had they're all on drugs all drinking yeah they're they're, they're all about excess yeah 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 slanesh is a funny one because i know drugs and titties but it's so much bigger than that. Like it's it's about excess in every form. Um, yeah, f- yeah, wanting to be bigger, better, vanglorious. Yeah, all those things. Like it's yeah. Sanesh is the one that scares me the most, actually, out of all of them. So I think it's the easiest anyone could fall to. I yeah, think it's I think the one know, humans could get it. on with quite easy. Yeah, you do do it every day. Every time you know, you're like, oh, I'll have a chocolate bar or something. That's sort of you're being excessive there. Yeah. But, like, if you take that a thousand billion times fold where you have literally no limits and you can do whatever your mind can imagine, the world would get pretty fucking dark pretty quick. Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it scares the shit out of me. Like, yeah, drinking. I, you know, people can become addicted to things. That's what Slanesh does. It, it pushes you into that space, but rewards you, uh, imagine emotionally and physically, for doing it. Um, yeah. Yeah, pretty the crazy. Fulgrim, the Fulgrim book from the Heresy does it really well, I think, because it does it in the art. So, like, you see Fulgrim's painting, and it's just, like, not just, like, porn. It's just, like, totally, like, your brain can't even comprehend what he's done. Like, yeah. it's, like, use like, shit and body fluids to paint stuff, and it's just, like, when they look at it, like, they can't, you can't take it in because it's just so weird and excessive. Yeah. yeah. That book's really good on that, sort of. Yeah, no, it's, it's incredible. Such a good book. Um, so, jumping back into Eisenhorn's 
so they, they they have a bit of recovery time, don't they? Because they're all fucked, like eyes and horns, in hospital for ages with all sorts of muscle problems. Um, but then they decide to follow one of their tracks, which takes them to a colony world, right? Um, yeah, so they basically, yeah, so I think they've, the Navy and Militia have like, totally got rid, they've destroyed the Glor family, or they think they have, but they're pretty sure that maybe someone got away. Yeah, which was a ship Oberon. that was untracked, right? Yeah, yeah, so there's like, they're pretty sure the head of the Glor family, yeah, this Oberon guy, has got away. So, and then stuff just like start going like really weird over the whole system. Like, the, some of the Navy ship attack themselves. Yeah, they all shoot they, each other. Yeah, and then they disappear. Some ships disappear, so they're like, this is pretty weird. Yeah. Um, and like, chaos stuff just starts happening across the systems. So. Random bombings and ships blowing up and buildings being blown to pieces and stuff like that, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think this is when other Inquisitors start turning up. I think some yeah. of Titus Endor. Yeah, have, aren't all of their missions leading them here? But like they're, they're all being dragged to the same place. Like all yeah, of their yeah. all of their leads are pulling them into the same system. Um, so you get you do get the understanding that it's far fucking bigger than Eisenhorn thought it was. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. So um, yeah, they, as I say, Inquisitor Titus Endor, which is <laughs> totally out of Star Wars. I feel, but <laughs> yeah. Um, another Inquisitor, Shongard, Molitor, they all start, yeah, as you say, they all start grouping here, and they think they want to go to some, again, this is the problem with this book sometimes, is I can't think of the link of why they go to the next place. Um, it's just the lead, isn't it? It's, um, I know this is where they find out about the, this is where they find out about the Necrotark, right? The, the book. It's like the Chaos Knowledge book. That's that's like what they're chasing after, but yeah, I can't remember for the life of me. It's something to do with the Sarathi. So I lied earlier when I said there's no aliens. There are aliens in this. It's just um, yeah, they go to that mining planet first, though, don't they? Where yeah. they meet. So they go to this. They have some link to some mining planet. So they go to whatever it is. Our fault for not remembering what it is. Basically. Yeah. But <laughs> they go yeah. to some mining planet, and it's totally like ravaged by chaos, and there's like no one left, and there's like a big volcano, and then and there's a mine. And Eisenhorn's like, okay, well, we need to find out what they're doing here. Because I think Glor, this is where Glor's gone. So they follow Glor. They, he's led into this mining place. And, like, they get into the mines from this guy that's escaped. And they, he follow him back in. And they, they're mining with Xenos technology. And they're taking, like, these tablets back. And they're like, why are they... Obviously, they, these tablets are important to them. And I think earlier, when Eisenhorn's, you know, sneaking around, he hears that they're trading something for something else. So he's uh, like, okay, yeah. they're obviously trading these alien tablets to some alien race in return for, as you said, it's for the Neurotech, because that's given on the back of the book. But I don't know if they necessarily know at this point of the book that it's that. Yeah, I can't remember where it comes up. But that's what they're after, right? They want that yeah, book. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so they find them. Who else do they see on that mining planet? Oh, yeah, it's fucking Mandragore, which is like this... <laughs> Big ass chaos people, and it kind of a little jump of joy when you see a space. I know it's sort of lame, like oh yeah, bolt porn, but like this book kind of needed it a little bit in some places. So yeah. Yeah. So they they, they mope around the mines and they look around and they're trying to work out what the fuck is this place and what's it got to do with Glor. Then they spot the man with the red hair, right? He's, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's there. Um, and they're like, like right, there as well. yeah, and they're like, right, let's just watch, let's just understand, and then they see a fucking huge 
it's because everything's been about humans. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And then they see this huge purple space marine, and he's evil. It's a chaos space marine. It's an Emperor's Children guy, and he's um. I like the description of him. Like he's got like clashing powdered colours all over his face. Yeah, and... he's like basically taken like a like a like the Simpsons with like the mate mis- Homer's makeup gun. Oh, the <laughs> shotgun on Marge's face. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's so it's like that. I love I love Emperor's Children like this. Except to him, he'd look incredible, right? He thinks he looks amazing, but. Yeah, success. He's got like teeth that are pearls. He's got purple paint, but he's also like rotten and in weird places because of chaos. Yeah, super gross. Um, but you do see a bit of that transhuman fear, which um, I love it when they do that well. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. Is, um, yeah, yeah done really well here. Because you you take it for granted when you're reading from a space marine's point of view that they're just people, but actually they're not. They're fucking weird. So when you know, as it always does when you're trying to watch the baddies in a baddies space and they see you, all fucking hell breaks loose. Um, yeah, I think they meet they meet this Mandragore guy. He's having an argument with, I think it's this character called Dezo, who's obviously some big psychic guy. And he's basically, his space marine's like having a hissy fit. He's like, they just see this giant like shout something and slam a door into another building. They're like, what the fuck was that? Yeah, it's so insane. But um, yeah, yeah. what is it Gregor does? Doesn't he grab something of theirs? Yeah, he um, he the, they get spotted and he runs through like this building and he finds um, Oberon Glor's like personal belongings, like where he's dropped stuff off. And yeah, he, like, yeah, yeah. They're like, oh no, no, we need to get out of here. I need to get out of here. And he's like, no, no, I need to grab. He just got like, some instinct and he's like, I need to grab this shit. Yeah, he's like, this so, is how we get out by yeah, having so his I shit. Think he, Grab some some personal belongings, something round he feels, and he wraps up in rags, which we find out later is um, Pontius, or the Pontius at this point. I imagine it as the orb of Saruman. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, don't touch it. Don't touch touch it. it. And then he also grabs some of these tablets that have been already mined in, like, a crate. Yes, you're right, yeah. And they basically just walk out in the open. Yeah. Kind of like a... Princess Leia thermal was. detonator kind of situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah. And then that's where Benton Court comes in and like they're on like the gang ramp, um, the gangway going up to the ship, and they're like sort of like it's a Mexican standoff sort of thing where they're like, either you let us go or we drop these tablets. And he's like, well, if I just shoot you, you won't drop the tablets anyway. Or if you I let you go, I'm going to shoot you down later. It's all this sort of yeah, what happens basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think he like chucks some of the tablets at him manages to get away not knowing Claude doesn't know that he's already got this thing called the Pontius with him yeah which is if he knew they had that he would, probably would have been even more inclined to just obliterate them right yeah yeah, so, yeah yeah and what we later find out I think we can skip to this bit is basically they get away uh, bring held I think they, they shoot this mine or something I don't know I can't remember yeah, but basically they get away and they find out that Pontius is actually Pontius Glor. He's like, his spirit has been captured in this orb, as you say, like the, um, the eye of, like, the, in Lord of the Rings. Yeah, the Saruman's um, orb, whatever yeah, it's called, so, yeah. And this is where they find that that coffin crate thing was on Hubris that I, I claim would had. He was meant to put the Pontius into that, and I believe it's... Going to siphon off all the people and yeah, yeah. bring him back to life, yeah. Yeah, so that we find out that's what they were trying to do, um, which I think is fucking dark and awesome. Um, and then, 
so there's this this is like the last chapter well not last chapter, this is the last chunk of the book is the next bit right where yeah, so they, they they find out that they're trading with these aliens called the Sarufi. Sarufi. so yeah sorry listeners i did lie there are aliens in this it's just yeah. they feel so inconsequential to the plot do you know what i mean yeah, yeah they've got this neurotech thing which is a sort of a MacGuffin chaos thing. It, you never really know what it is, but it's like a book with all chaos e stuff in. Yeah. And this is what um, Glaw's going to trade the tablets for, like a trade. So he wants the neurotech, the aliens want the tablets, they make a trade, he gets a chaos e book thing. That's what, that's what it's all about, basically. This is what it's all been about. So um, they go to these, basically, they're going to go to these aliens. And he knows Glaw's going to do some trade at this point. So he basically, Eisenhorn wants to be there when it happens. Yeah. And they, so they, they take their ships and they go into, well, they follow them, right? They're not that yeah, far yeah. behind them. And, and Glaw and co know they're being followed. They, it's not like a secret. They're just no. racing. They're racing to get to this location. But this is where I got confused in the book is what the fuck this location is. It's so weird. But that's what I think is the point. This place is meant to be like, it's like every angle and every dimension in this place is so weird that you can't understand what it's like. Yeah, let's try and picture it for people listening if they haven't read the book yet. So like, the ships, so they're chasing Glaw's ship, right? And then it flies, does it fly into a planet? Yeah, so it's like a... Like a big gas cloud, and then they get and they find a planet in that gas cloud, and then they fly into it, and it turns into like it's like the TARDIS. It's like bigger on the inside than it should look on the outside. Yeah, I still don't understand how they flew into it. That was the bit that caught me out. Like, yeah, I think it's got like it must have like ravines and stuff in it. Or something, yeah. yeah, so they literally fly into the planet, and like you said, it's like the TARDIS. It's bigger inside than it is out. So big you can fly ships around in it, and they land. So they they get out of their gun cut they they take their gun cutter down to like, essentially a beach. Yeah, so yeah, Maxilia has t- taken them to this planet, and it's like loads of like storms and stuff, and he's like, oh, I'll stay here, but you know, for your, for your knowledge, it's getting like pretty crazy outside. So yeah, and they take the gun cutter down, and it's like yeah, it's like a beach, but it's all got these weird arches that are like odd angles, and the sea is like liquid ammonia, and the waves go out, not in. So everything so is weird. like, I think there's a quote that says it was chilling, so simple, yet so wrong. Yeah, it just felt unnatural in every yeah. way. Like when I was reading it, I was like, it just feels like I'm not reading it right. Because it's just yeah. weird. Yeah. Um, and it kicks off pretty quick there. Like the pace of this book from, you know, from the first proper big fight is just constant. Um, yeah, so um, as we said, those that Navy ship that went, disappeared after they took down the claws actually happens to be here and they actually are working part of the navy that was with that fleet is now working for the claws and um it's not all of them it's not all of them that's that's what i thought was quite important right yeah yeah. some of them just think they're working for the imperium they don't realize that they've been hijacked by nefarious means yeah yeah so Um, i think he finds some of the troops that have managed to escape he's like uh, I don't. I should, they're being chased, aren't they? And yeah, like, they're being chased by Glaw loyalists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, there's, yeah. there's hundreds of them running away, being gunned <laughs> down by land speeders, right? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah. And like Eisenhorn just pops up, 
Fishing pops up with his heavy stub and he starts mowing down like the people chasing them. Yeah, they mow down the people chasing them, blow up their two speeder ships with heavy weaponry, and Eisenhorn kind of inspires them all to get back up and turn around and fight for the Emperor. Um, but he doesn't do it in a round, like grabbing him by the neck. It's a, you know this is the right thing, the Imperium needs this. Yeah, um, yeah. And they are all troopers, they're, they're still military men even though they're frightened out of their minds. Um, so, if I remember correctly, Eisenhorn and Fissig, um and one clearly red shirt character, um, <laughs> I've had it so weird when he, they bothered to do this, they take the black uniforms off of the uh, bad navy guys that were with Glore um, and sneak into their ranks um, so that they can yeah, yeah. be on the inside. But it's so funny because it's two main characters and Mr. Redshirt, Star Trek man, that comes with them because he's the only one out of about 200 people that can fit into the other uniform, which I found really funny. Like, it's just so obvious he's being placed there to die. Yeah, think, yeah it's, not, it's not even hidden in this book. It's kind yeah. of like, yeah, okay. Yeah, so funny. Um, um, so they they witness this sort of transaction between these weird aliens, which kind of like spiders, crabs. They've got limbs, like five limbs, but basically they don't, they're not anything symmetrical. So like, not like a spider's symmetrical with you know four legs on either side. Uh, you know, these are just like totally weird. Yeah, I like, still don't know what they look like in my head. Like they're just big grey blobs. Like yeah, just... I kind of like that. Um, again, in Tekka claims that massive like many leg thing that tacks them in the gladiator yeah 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 yeah, yeah I don't know. That, but they wear they've got like hands on the ends of their legs so hold, weird like metal stilts it's yeah it's fucking weird which is the point i guess they're meant to be weird this is meant to be a weird place so yeah so they they do this trade and um doesn't is it eisenhorn that fires first yeah he's like fires kills one of the aliens and like says, oh, he's trying to attack you, and then the aliens start like running away, and then everyone starts attacking each other, basically. Yeah, so Eisenhorn does something very, I mean, it's grim. They are aliens, and he should be killing them. That's his job, but it does feel a bit unfair. They were being friendly and nice. Like they, it's almost like the aliens got caught in the middle of it all. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's they just wanted their tablets back. They just Why wanted. Tablets they just wanted their artwork back. Like yeah. that's all they wanted, Gregor. You dick. <laughs> but he opens up with a. I think he's got a Hellfire gun, and he just blows one away. And um, they all, yeah, they all just turn on each other, and just everyone starts firing everywhere. It's carnage, absolute carnage. Um, but it's the end game, right? This is when characters. Well, yeah, I think he sees. Yeah, this is the point where Eisenhorn sees the necrotech thing, and he's like, right, I need to get this. So then he starts. Yeah, he causes a confusion, and then he's confronted by the chaos space marine. Oh he's god! Like, oh shit! <laughs> I can't remember what happens here. What what happens with the chaos space marine? Uh, I think he's got the Chaos Space Marine gets to the Necrotech and like he pretty like smashes Eisenhorn's like shoulder with like some axe or something. So Eisenhorn's like on the floor and the Chaos Space Marine like grabs the Necrotech and he's like opens it up and it's just like, oh, just, like oh, he's totally. in awe. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then when he's doing that, Eisenhorn gets up and like decapitates him. Yeah, it's incredible. Eisenhorn gets up and whips a fucking thousand year old Space Marine's head off in one. Yeah, and then literally body in his armour just catches fire as soon as his head catches up and then that's when Eisenhorn has this moment where he's holding the Necrotech and he's like oh, he like kind of wants it yeah because he knows like any power is what could be used this is yeah, a yeah. like Boromir bit where he's like oh I just want it for good I want to use the power for good yeah yeah, like, yeah but 
and then, then he just chucks it into the chucks it into the burning armor of the space marine, and it's like this green glow just goes. Yeah, it's so fucking cool. And there is one more bit, right? This isn't quite the end. No, I think this is the bit where. So they they uh, leave this planet, right? They escape, and it all crumbles or whatever and yeah this bit felt a bit unnecessary then they discover that the aliens had another version of the necrotech yeah that they translated into their own language yeah so then they had to find the then so they glow then races off to get the other necrotech and a translator to translate the this version yeah it's so, necessary to have like another battle scene yeah it, it did feel like it was two endings happening so like we had this amazing space one it's like right now back into real space it felt like an excuse to get the band together like oh look at all of these inquisitor bands um oh yeah there's, yeah there's that cool bit where he meets the lord inquisitor felbis asandro Rorkin. and he's in charge of a lot of inquisitors yeah yeah and he has like all those other Inquisitors turn up, Endor, Vogue, Sean God, and some Death Watch as well. Death Watch turn up, which is pretty cool. I mean, yeah, some fucking Space Marine boys. Um, yeah. And so they go on another mission, but this one's a proper pitched battle, like we know 40k, yeah. right? This is a Glaw's hold up there, their army's there, this is it, we need to go and finish this. Yeah, so it's like this race, so um, it had this bit where it's like the landing craft on like D-Day, so they're coming in hot. And basically, the aliens are also attacking Glaw's guys because everyone's basically trying to race to get this weird book necrotech thing. Yeah, so, yeah it, they, it's a bit messy. Like I did think it was, you know, when you're reading it and you're like, "Fucking hell!" I've gone through like ten pages and I don't know what's going on. Like I had to yeah, read it more it than help. once. Yeah, it doesn't help that they're landing on this alien place again, where everything is also really weird. Yeah, where, like they enter buildings and they don't know where they are. So yeah, it gets a bit confused. <laughs> There was another really good um, tr- uh, human, transhuman fear thing again with um, Bellequin. Is that? Yeah, yeah. With, sorry, with uh, Bequin, where they're fighting through these tunnels and they've. Hasn't each team, each Inquisitor team, got a Death Watch guy assigned to them? Yeah. If I remember correctly, so they've all got a Marine with them. And they, you know, they're all coming in hot, tracer fire flying through the skies, smashing some ships out, and blah, blah, blah. And they, yeah, they get into this cave and they rush through and they're fighting off all of these fairly well-trained guard. And you've got um, you've got um, Eisenhorn's team who've got like, different weaponry and they're all fighting. They've just got this fucking Death Watch Marine with them just blasting away with a bolt gun. And then another Emperor's Children dude just fucking wades out of nowhere. That's so yeah, that is so that's good. A cool battle, yeah. 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 Um, I think the Death Watch gets good. He's quite arrogant, and then suddenly he gets sort of charged by a um, emperor's children guy and they sort of have this battle in this vat and like, they all think the death watch guy's dead and then basically he like rises out of the water and like choke holds this guy and like drowns him or something yeah it's yeah cool. yeah but it's, i like the fear all of them have absolute fear they're all terrified yeah. of this marine you know this is, these are characters that have been in battles for ages but a marine still scares the shit out of them when they're running at them yeah um, they're watching like these two marines go at it and they're like oh, fuck. this is just grim um <laughs> So then there's another final fight, um, and that's where Gre- Gregor finally kills Glor, right? I-, I think that's when this happens. Yeah, so this all comes a bit like, death also really comes really quick. So like, I think Glor just gets like, there's some explosion and he just basically gets impaled by a bit of metal and you're like, no. Oh okay. yeah, it goes on. And there's the red-haired guy, I think he puts up more of a fight. Yeah, yeah, and then he gets crushed by a pillar 
I think, as well. Doesn't Gregor push the pillar over? Yeah, yeah, I think he, like, cuts it with his sword or something. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Um, and then... And then we the, find out the main bad guy... Yeah, the um, the M. Night Shyamalan twist. Yeah, this is, this is the whole point, I think, in the book, was, like, all those deaths sort of become insequential because you find out, actually, the Inquisitor Molotov, which you get hints of up to this point as a bad guy because he doesn't, he, like, skin a... Um, uh, like a hostage. Uh, was a, was... Yeah, there was someone they were inquisiting um, yeah. earlier in the book, kind of like a non non important character, but he was a prisoner of Eisenhorn's and who they were going to interrogate. And this, what's his name, the inquisitor who interrogates? Him? Ago, I think. Yeah, he interrogates him on kind of pretending it was on Gregor's behalf. Yeah, yeah. But actually, and you find like, out they probably skins... tried to kill him on purpose because of the information that he had. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that happens. So you get a hint that this guy's not, you know, he's got like uh, arco flagellants as well with him as well. So he's got these, he's, he's like, you know, these are like really cool models of like the swords. Oh, they've got no hands. They've just got flails. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So he's find out, and we find out that he is actually double-crossed them, and he wants the necrotech for himself. Um. So Eisenhorn's pretty, like, gets pretty fucked up by him, and suddenly, but then the queen turns up. Uh, shoots off the hand of one of the gnolls and then Eisenhorn shoots off like the stimulant, the pain stimulant of the other one, and instantly the the flagellant just like just bursts into like absolute pain and agony. Yeah, yeah. So um, they sort of get away, um, but at that same point, I think Molotov started said he signalled a bombardment. So the whole planet's getting like totally rained on down by the navy. It's absolute carnage. So, There's so yeah, much yeah. going on. Yeah, and then I think uh, Eisenhorn kills him as well. But one of his acolytes, this is then you find out one of the acolytes takes off his like his hood, and he's got like blank eyes. And this is the whole like blank eye thing all the way through the book. He like Eisenhorn keeps having like nightmares about him, like the guy with the blank eyes, blank eyes. And you find out this acolyte of Molitor who's turned, he's the demon blank eye guy. He's Cherubal. Yeah, he is Cherubal, and doesn't Gregor accidentally set him free? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, something like that. So they have like this confrontation on the roof as the whole plant's about to be blown up, and uh, they destroy the other necrotech. So Trubal like says, "Right, well, I'm getting out of here before this place is nuked." But like, I'll see you again. Yeah. Da-da-da. See ya. See you in a bit, mate. Yeah. Yeah. See you in the second book of this trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> what trilogy? Um. So that's the that is kind of how it wraps up, right? As I think that it just ends up with Fisig being like, I'm going to hang around, you seem alright, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then that's kind of it, that, that's where it ends. It was yeah. a really fast ending. Do you know what, actually, I'd say from the halfway point, it's a really fast book. Like, the majority of the action happens from the midway point, but it doesn't stop. Yeah, it, no. It's, it's yeah, a strange one. You can tell from our, our description, is like, it what happened and where? Yeah, yeah. And it gets really fast, and there's like a lot of MacGuffin stuff of why they're following this and why they're following that. Yeah. But when you're reading it, it's it's really entertaining for sure. Yeah. No, I do. I I've, I've you know. So I guess we'll do the wrap up now. Um, I really did enjoy it. It wasn't what I was expecting at all. I don't know what I was expecting, but no. it did catch me out. It was totally not what I thought it would be. I really even the first person thing wasn't expecting that. Like. That's how unaware of this book I've been, which is quite, I don't want to say shameful, that's beating myself up for no reason, but I don't know why I never picked it up in the past. I'm glad I've read it. Um, yeah, I'm definitely glad I read it. It's a good, 
It's not as grimdark as I thought it'd be. Uh, sounds, yeah. Sounds, I thought it'd be like into hive cities where he's like going through like a hive city. Like it is very polished sci-fi. It's very, yeah. yeah, it definitely feels clean and nice because we see high society. We're not seeing the dregs. Yeah. That's why I thought the book was going to, I thought it was going to be like a 1920s film noir detective sort of novel. And it's not quite like that, but it's still re- it's still really entertaining as well for sure. Yeah, no, I I, I really did enjoy it. Um, I'd recommend it. I'm not sure I'll read it again anytime soon. Like, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of longevity in it for me. Um, uh, yeah, you, yeah, you can probably tell as I say from our descriptions, it's a bit. There's a lots of like really cool scenes, but I think the linking of the scenes together gets a bit confusing and is a bit messy. And I think the ending is also a bit messy because it feels. Like you're, as I said, you don't know why the bad guys are doing stuff. And yeah, it's not yeah, he's yeah. not the bad guy; it's another bad guy, and he, yeah, it gets. And then it's like, not that bad guy; it's another bad guy, and then another bad guy. Yeah, there's no big bad, right? That's why it's a bit weird. Yeah, except the, well, I presume in the next book it would be the demon. But... Yeah, well, I don't know. I've I've tried not to read too far ahead on um no. on on I the internet. I don't, know, while... I don't know what happens in the other two. I have no idea. No, I've got no idea. I've purposely ignored most of the stuff on on the internet while researching off the back of this book just to make sure i don't spoil anything um so yeah good book did enjoy um i i will pick up the other two i don't know when i'll read them i don't know if we'll review them anytime soon that's not our intention really is it uh not at this point no no i I want to bounce around yeah, I'd like to know what other people think of the other two books because I think I think the second one has a lot of. Now that he had the first one done, I think the second one and he like that sort of prequel now is eventually the beginning has sort of now been set. I think the second one probably has a lot more legs to do, like a proper, proper chunky story to it. But mm. it'd be interesting to know what other people thought of the of the next two. Yeah, definitely contact us and let us know. Um, forgot to mention at the beginning, but we're on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, Twitter and email. I can't remember what our email is now, can you? Uh, the Great Rift Inbox at gmail.com. Yes, that one. Um, I'll put. I'll make sure it's in the show notes. So, yeah, please do reach out. Tell us what you think about the book. Um, I'm, I'm keen to hear what people think. Um, yeah, it's up there with a good Dan Abnett book. Not his best. He's, he's done better, but they're all later, right? This is actually quite early. Yeah, um, yeah. If, if, if you, you can tell, you can tell. It's you can, yeah, good. absolutely. You can tell by looking at the old book cover, actually, because the one we've got is like a reprint. Yeah, like, it's like eighties computer game. Yeah, yeah, it's that. I, Adrian Smith is a great artist, but it's definitely a particular era for me of forty k. There was a period where Adrian was doing a lot of the codexes and stuff, and he's got a very distinctive style. Um, it's it's very sharp and angular. Like everything's very yeah. boxy, um, and yeah, it, it feels like a different era of forty k for me. It feels like the early two thousands, which it was. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, cool. So yeah, that that's the book. Um, so I mean, a lot of people following us on social media will know already. But Jamie, do the honors. Uh, what are we doing next? Yeah, well, we are going to do uh, Priest of Mars, the first of the Lord of Mars trilogy. Yeah, Mr. Graham McNeil who, um, as we said earlier, gave us a lovely shout-out a couple of weeks ago, which was really nice. Um, so hopefully he'll listen to that, which would be awesome. Um, yeah, um, as I said before, without giving too much weight, I'm reading it. 
enjoying it. It's very good. Um, Mechanicum is one of my favourite, favourite, favourite 40k books. Well, 30k, but, you know, that world. Um, yeah. And to read in the prologue that that is... Yeah, that that was kind of like what kickstarted wanting to do that Priest of Mars trilogy, having written Mechanicum, kind of like got me really buzzed as I started, and it's yeah stuck with me all the way through. But anyway, that's for another episode. Um, so, anything else you want to cover off, Jamie? Um, no, I just hope this wasn't too rambly and we weren't like missing bit chunks of the story. But we were just trying to get into like our favourite bits, and as we say, we may have got a bit confused over the linking bits, but. That's just a criticism read, of the book. You read it, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's a, it's hard to. There's no such thing as a perfect book, and it definitely has its flaws. But it's still a joy to read. And if you haven't read it, do read it. Um, it's yeah, it's I a lot of fun. Didn't have an issue reading it. It was really fun. Like there's some great scenes in it for sure. And the character, I think the Eisenhorn as a character is a really cool character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing some more of his stuff. And do you know what? I never got the buzz about the model when he came out recently um, no, because I didn't I know him. It. Yeah, I know you got it because you're a slut for spending money at Games Workshop yeah. all the time. But um, yeah, I wasn't as buzzed because I didn't know the character. Um, but now I do. I definitely want to get hold of it if I can. I think um, it's definitely the models from the second book because he's got that staff and he doesn't have the staff in any of this first book. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exciting. Okay. Um, know, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd say that's that's us. Um, we'll be back hopefully in the next week or two. I'm hoping um, with uh, Priest of Mars, and I'd quite like to do a uh, Black Library Live episode. No idea what that's going to look like. It it might just be me and Jamie talking about it. It might be that segmented with interviews. Um, I'd like to think the second option i'm hoping we can get some of you listeners or just random people to talk about stuff it'd be really cool yeah yeah for sure okay well with that in mind i'm gonna go and make a cup of tea watch some telly and go to bed so thanks for listening listeners cheers yeah. peace, peace.